Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Coming to you live, raw, and uncensored from Studio 107. Welcome to the SOL Podcast. Wake up, America, with your host, Drew Baker, Shake and Bake. We're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House! Matt Dixon, the Iron Man. When you're going through hell, keep going. And Kelsey Lee, (laughs) Special K. I'm an extremely stable genius. A podcast dedicated to protecting your rights by exploring the law, politics, and current events. You have the right to remain silent and listen, or call in and become a part of the show. And now, here's your host, Shake and Bake. Hey, welcome to the SOL Podcast. This is Special K, and this is going to be a little bit of a different format to the episode than we normally do, because Shake and Bake and Iron Man both had scheduling conflicts for this week. So I'm not a lawyer, and I can't really give you any legal advice, not that you should take it if I tried, but I do have an interest in the law and some of these current events, and one of the things that I want to talk to everybody about is these laws that Congress passes that don't apply to themselves. Very rules for thee, not for me. There's all kinds of things that Congress can get away with that you would go to jail for. And the big one that's in the news right now is the insider trading issues. So we have a ton of politicians the Speaker of the House, not excluded, that are getting rich off of the stock, the stock market. And it was back in 2012 that the Obama administration passed something called the Stock Act, which was supposed to prohibit insider trading and insider trading by members of Congress's family. And about a year later, they quietly rolled back a lot of those provisions in the Stock Act. So now... You still do have to disclose when you do it. It's still illegal. You have about a month and a half after you make the stock trades before you have to disclose them. But instead of having this easy-to-access database, it's easily searchable, so you can look for these patterns of corruption. They've put up all sorts of red tape, and it's pretty hard to get into the database. And then without spending a lot of time, resources, money into digging into all of this, It's very hard to make the connections between when people made these trades and when they were enacting on legislation that was favorable to those causes. One of the reasons that it's still so easy for them to get away with it is because you have to be able to prove that these Congress people learned about this information not from public sources, but through something that they learned in a congressional meeting. And since They don't have to disclose what they talk about in congressional meetings to the public. There's really no way to prove the intent behind it. But even if they do end up catching somebody in Congress for doing insider trading with all of those hoops that you have to jump through to even get to the point where you can catch someone doing it, pretty much the only fine is it's about a $200 penalty if you're a member of Congress where it's a felony for anybody else. And in case you were curious how the Speaker of the House feels about this and these proposed law changes 
that would say that members of Congress have to put their assets into a trust while they're serving and that they can't individually trade in stocks while they are an elected official. This is what Nancy Pelosi has to say about it. Should members of Congress and their spouses be banned from trading individual stocks while serving in Congress? No, I don't know to the second one. This is a free market and people, we have a free market economy that should be able to participate in that. Another example of this corruption and unethical behavior is this revolving door between government officials and the entities in which they regulate. So the government industry revolving door, it's where you put industry-friendly experts in positions of decision-making power. Often these individuals then rotate between working for the industry and then working for the government regulatory bodies. And those arrangements are fraught with potential conflicts of interest. So say you're the FDA, you're on the FDA advisory board approving vaccines, and then you spend your career putting forth favorable regulations and make things easier, more lax regulations so these pharmaceutical industries can make a bunch of money. And then when you retire from government, you go get a job working for Pfizer, for example. There's examples of this in the tech industry. There's examples of this in now the new one that's in the headlines is the cryptocurrency industry. Pretty much anything that government has a hand in regulating, you can also find this these instances of this revolving door where the regulators and the people that they're regulating the lines get very blurry for those. Uh, the way that the current law is written now is that you can't do this within the first year that you leave government. So you have to have a one-year cooling off period as though that really matters or means anything. That's a pretty crafty way to write that law to ensure that all you have to do is take a year off and then you can go get your six, seven-figure salary at whatever company that you're going to be working for as long as you just wait one year. And one of the big loopholes in that law is that that, that does not apply to many high-level policymakers. So really, the more influence that you have, the more likely somebody would want to be hiring you to do this. That's actually shortens the amount of time that you have to wait. So the greater your likelihood for having a conflict of interest, the less time that you have to wait before you can go work for the industries that you were just regulating. It is hard to track what these people are doing because Freedom of Information Act laws actually do not apply to Congress. And when the Obama administration was in office, they actually exempted their own administrative office from having to comply with Freedom of Information Act requests. So I'm not a lawyer, I'm just a regular person here, but I'm having trouble figuring out what the purpose and the benefit is to the Freedom of Information Act requests if the people that we're trying to get the information about can just declare themselves exempt from it and the laws don't apply to them. It was not until the Me Too movement happened in 2018 that Congress, if they got sued for sexual harassment, members of Congress didn't have to pay their own settlements. That was paid for by you and me, the taxpayer. So you're welcome to all the politicians that took advantage of that slush fund. So one of the changes that happened to the law in 2018 
is now members of Congress do have to pay out of their own pocket if they have to pay a settlement for sexual harassment. Now, that actually only applies to members of the House because there is a caveat in there that if you're in the Senate, you actually get to have a hearing before and then there's some sort of regulatory body that will determine if you have to pay the taxpayer back or not. OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970, which requires each covered employer to provide a place of employment free from recognized hazards that may cause serious physical harm or death and to comply with the Act's Occupational Safety and Health Act standards. Under the Act's definitions, the term employer does not include the United States. So therefore, OSHA laws do not apply to Congress. There's also a law that prohibits using your public office for personal gain, and it says the principal financial conflict of interest law for federal employees, 18 U.S. Code 208, prohibits officers and employees of the executive branch from taking official government action on any matter in which they have any personal financial interest. Government officials are barred from participating in any matters in which they have any personal financial interest. The statute does not apply to any elected official of the federal government, so members of Congress, the president, the vice president, and federal judges are exempt. So I'm not really sure who else's personal gain law would apply to if it's not elected officials. That you're using your position as a public representative that you are getting salary paid for by the taxpayer and yeah you cannot go turn around and then use that position that you're supposed to be representing the people and use it to represent yourself for financial gain so if that law does not apply to elected officials i don't understand what the purpose of it is at all now i know there's been some confusion in the past couple of years about whether or not a mandate is a law but i think we can all remember back to a couple of years ago when all the governors imposing the COVID mandates on us, then we're going to baseball games without their masks on and going to the NFL playoffs without their mask on and eating at restaurants without social distancing and going to get their hair done when everybody else had to stay home and wasn't allowed to go to the salon. So we know that they are very rules for thee, but not for me when it comes to that. But I also thought that it was incredibly hypocritical of them when they said that the members of Congress were exempt from the federal vaccine mandate. Even Snopes here gives that a true fact check. That is not to give credit to Snopes at all. It is just to show that even the most biased of the fact checkers cannot deny that members of Congress are exempt from the federal vaccine mandate. Now, it was not written into the policy necessarily that they are exempt from it. Just the argument that Congress made on why it doesn't apply to them has to do with the separation of powers among the three branches and that the executive branch can't mandate the legislative branch to do something. I also thought to bring in Miss Pelosi again here as my co-host, we'll let her explain the other reason why Congress does not have to apply to the COVID vaccine mandates. We are we cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do. It is a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't. 
So if Congress is citing a matter of privacy, is there a reason for why they cannot be forced to get a vaccine by the government? I don't understand why that does not apply to the private sector as well. Why it's not a violation of everybody's privacy? Why is it only a violation of privacy if you are a member of Congress? I do agree with Nancy's reasoning here. I just wish that it was applied to everyone and people had the right to their privacy and not just members of Congress. One of the other things I learned that I think is absolutely crazy when it comes to these double standards is that if you get called in before a congressional hearing or have to testify in front of Congress and you lie to Congress, then you've committed perjury, you can be prosecuted for that. However, if a member of Congress is under oath and they lie to you, the public, or you, the witness who they're interviewing, there's no penalty for that. Uh, that is actually why Adam Schiff was able to get away with reading the fake transcript of the Trump phone call during the impeachment hearing. And he then just called it a parody when he got called out. But when people were asking, why is he not getting charged for perjury since he was saying that under oath and didn't say under oath that he was doing a parody of something, the reason behind that is that there is the congressional immunity law, which says that a Congress member is exempt from arrest or interrogation for any speech or debate entered into during a legislative session. And they actually have a pretty wide latitude on what constitutes as a legislative session. So it's not just your public congressional hearings, really sort any sort of legislative meeting that they do all applies under this immunity law. And so they can commit perjury. They have immunity. You lie to them. You go to jail. Another double standard scam they pulled on all of us here had to do with congressional healthcare options they have when they instituted Obamacare and required people to have to purchase health insurance. If you don't get it through your employer, you have to purchase it on the exchange. So initially the plan with Obamacare was it was not going to apply to members of Congress. They had much better health insurance that was paid for by the taxpayers and they didn't want to give that up. So some people were upset by the double standards, the hypocrisy there, and added in an amendment that says that members of Congress, if this is good enough for the American people, then it should be the standard that you hold yourselves to, and you have to participate in Obamacare as well. Without getting into all the complicated little nuance of the laws surrounding the Obamacare, when Congress would have to go into the individual market to buy their health insurance plans, they were no longer going to be eligible for the tax-free contributions from the government to match what your employer is contributing to your health, or to match what you're contributing to your health care. And so, it, yeah, essentially would have cost them been about a $12,000 pay decrease. And the Obama administration just changed the laws to allow one special... Actually, I'm sorry, they didn't change the laws. They just ignored the law that says that they're not allowed to do this and have created this special carve-out for Congress that allows them to participate in Obamacare, still receive the type of benefits that they would have received if they were on the federal worker health care plan that they were initially on and be the only entity that gets taxpayer-funded 
matching contributions to their health insurance. No other entity that is forced to use Obamacare gets to have those benefits. So Congress worked that out for themselves pretty nicely. So it's not all bad news. I don't want to be totally doom and gloom about this hypocritical regime that we all find ourselves under. Um, I don't know how much traction this movement is getting, but I have heard about it and would like it to take off where people are talking about proposing a 28th Amendment. Uh, the different fact checkers have covered this and said that it's false, basically just on the premise that it has people haven't made a serious attempt to do this yet, but that doesn't mean that we can't. And I actually think it's a good idea. The points that they have listed out here, I've seen this list in various forms, but the, these are all kind of the same things. It looks like this version of it was the Congressional Reform Act of 2011. I've seen more updated versions than that, but like I said, the bullet points all have the same general sentiment behind them. It says well, you need term limits. You can only serve as an elected official for 12 years, and one of the possible options, either two six-year Senate terms, six two-year House of Representative terms, or one six-year Senate term and two three-year House of Representative terms. But... You get six years, and then you have to go back into the private sector. You can't be a career politician living off the taxpayer for the rest of your life. There would be no tenure and no pension for a congressman. They get to collect a salary while they're in office, and then they do not receive pay when they are out of office. Again, it eliminates the incentive to go into politics as a long-term career to enrich yourself as opposed to going in there to represent the people and to enact change. As Congress, past, present, and future participates in Social Security, all funds in the congressional retirement move to the Social Security system immediately, and all future funds flow into the Social Security system, and Congress has to participate with the American people. And there's a little discrepancy about this one when you read online, because they say now that since like 1984, all members of Congress do have to participate in Social Security. It was my understanding, based on reading that, that that is not true. If you were grandfathered in under the previous system, then you still don't have to. And there might be like four or five members of Congress that are still so old and have been around so long that they are still under that current system. So this is saying effective immediately, you don't get grandfathered in anymore. Just like all new members of Congress, you have to participate in Social Security like the rest of us. That Ponzi scheme is good enough for the American taxpayer. It should be good enough for members of Congress. And if it's not good enough for them, we need to remember that they work for us, not the other way around. We pay them. We put them in office. So if it's not good enough for them, then they need to go in there as an elected official and change how it works for everybody else. They do not deserve, nor should they receive, special privileges for being an elected official. Congress will no longer vote themselves a pay raise. Congressional pay raise will be the lower of just the cost of living increase or 2.5%, whichever is lower. And that was another fact check when I went to look that up and it says that Congress hasn't raised their own pay since 2009. But the caveat that they have for that one is they don't actually vote to increase their salaries. They vote to increase their spending budgets. 
So technically speaking, they can't use this money on, you know, personal groceries or vacations, but they can increase the amount of money that they are allotted from the taxpayers to pay their staffers, to pay, get by office furniture, to do any sort of work-related travel expense. There's all kinds of things that fall under the umbrella of what they can use their congressional budget for. And by the last article that I read, in the midst of all this inflation, they gave themselves a 0% salary increase, but a 21% budget increase. Congress loses their current health care system. Congress can participate in the same health care system as the American people with no special exemptions or carve-outs that only are afforded to them. And Congress must equally abide by all laws, no special exemptions or treatment. So get back to that idea, that notion that this is a representative democracy. You represent us, and you are supposed to be there to enact legislation that is better for the people, not just for yourselves. So if you are passing a law that you deem good enough for everyone else, then it should be good enough for you. And you cannot do the inverse where you pass laws that only apply to yourself. Instead of passing a law and giving yourself an exemption, you just pass a special law that only applies to you. Cannot do it that way either. There's no loopholes. If it is good enough in your eyes that you would vote on it and subject the American people to it, then as our elected representatives, you should have to live under the same rules that you impose on everybody else. So that is the end of my soapbox rant for the week. Thank you guys for tuning in to this special edition of the SOL podcast. We should have the guys back in the studio again next week. We should have some interesting results from the midterm elections to talk about here in the SOL podcast next week. And I hope everybody tunes in. This has been Special K doing a special episode of the SOL podcast. And we're out.